And welcome to Catholics Coast to Coast, where we deepen our walk with God with additional conversations that are always happening at Podcast Central at EWTN.com slash radio. I'm Ace McKay, ready to take you on this journey for the weekend as Speaking with the Deacon is helping us to discuss the Church's understanding of sex, as well as not only an understanding God's creative activity, but the importance of treating our bodies as a temple of the Holy Spirit. We're going to dive right in. This is Speaking with the Deacon on Catholics Coast to Coast. Thanks for joining us once again on Speaking with Deacon. I'm Mark Griffin, your host, and joining me, as always, is Catholic apologist, Catholic speaker, Catholic author, dynamic Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers. Deacon Harold, how are you today? I'm doing well, Mark. It's always great to see you and be with you. It's good to be back with you once again. Uh, we've got an interesting topic today, and and it's a topic that we don't often hear about. But before we get there, why don't we just quickly look at what you've been up to lately? What What's happening in Deacon Harold world? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, first of all, um, I the, the my most recent book on the diaconate, Our Life of Service, uh, the handbook for Catholic deacons published by Ave Maria Press here in the United States, um, won uh, third place in the Association of Catholic Publishers Excellence in Publishing Awards. Oh, well done. Congratulations. So, uh, yeah. So uh, Dr. Ed Shree's book got first place. And uh Focus, uh, Curtis Martin and those guys got second place and my book got third place. So um, so I was excited about that. So um, award, but I'm most excited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I'm most excited about a, a brand new initiative uh, that I've launched in partnership with Perusia Media, and that is Christian Marketing Solutions. And what, and what Christian Marketing Solutions is, um, in a nutshell, um, it's uh, an, an amazing way for people to bring the life-saving message of Jesus Christ to people within your circle of influence. So whether you're a Catholic leader, a speaker, um, a musician, you're a Catholic business, a radio host, a podcaster, we offer unlimited resources and templates as a perfect way to grow your band, to get your name out there. Um, to promote your parish and activities that you're that you're doing to bring the life-giving and life uh, uh, sustaining message of Jesus Christ to the world. And it's it's a great way to increase your following by consistently deploying, engaging educational and relationship-based content marketing. Right. And what's cool about our approach, un unlimited email, unlimited social media integration, unlimited opt-in landing pages just for starters. And it's by Catholics for Catholics. So there's no really wild hidden costs or if you go to this next level, you have to pay this amount of fees. It's all unlimited for, for, for one very yeah, for one very great price. And the beautiful part about all this, you can't be deplatformed, right? Yes. <laughs> so so many of these uh uh so many of these uh social media outlets and stuff are deplatforming Catholic speakers because they don't like the message. That won't happen with us. You get the same robust, um, you know, uh, interfaces and 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 usability that you have with those others. Except with us, you know, you you pay one price for unlimited use, and you don't get the platform. Yeah, that that's really exciting, and it's hopefully going to be a big game changer in in the the Catholic 
um, the Catholic market there for this sort of thing. We're very excited to be partnering with you on this one. And yeah, hopefully this can this can really change the landscape in a, in a really positive way. So how do people find this particular platform, Deacon? Just go to cmsunlimited.com. So cmsunlimited.com. All the information is there. Wonderful. And we'll put links in the show notes as well to, to be able to link to that particular platform. Very exciting news. Um, today, we're going to go, as I mentioned at the start, we're going to be speaking about a topic that's not something we hear about often, but at the same time it is. We hear a lot about this often from the secular world. We don't hear very often much about this topic from a Catholic perspective. And so we're going to be looking at a Catholic approach to sex and dating. And I think it's fair to say, Deacon, that the secular world really does shout from the rooftops what their approach is. And this is something that really does need to be addressed and, and, and give Catholics a good perspective on this, isn't it? That's so true. Um, you know, because here's the thing. A lot of people think that the church has a, um, a, a, a poor vision uh, or poor perspective on sex. That is something that's looked down upon them, frowned upon, and something that's dirty and something that's... No, no, nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, from the truth. The church loves sex. <laughs> Let me just, I'm just going to say it. The church, the church loves sex. Why? Because it's a participation in the life-giving power of God, right? We're made in God's image and likeness. And so God has allowed us as human beings to participate in his power to give new life. So husbands and wives come together in an act of, of intercourse and in an act of interpersonal, deep interpersonal communion. Um, that the the baby that's formed uh, is infused with a soul by God, and now we we have helped uh, in this process of of helping to create a new person with an eternal soul given to them by God, and and, we're, and we've helped and participated in, in that life giving power of God. So sex is something that's sacred, and sex is holy because it's a participation in God's life. But what's happened, Mark? We've taken this great gift and we've twisted it and distorted it and perverted it and changed it into a consumer product, right? We look at yeah. contraception. We look at uh, abortion, right? When contraception fails, you get an abortion. Um, human trafficking, uh, pornography, prostitution, all of these things are, are, are linked to a very distorted and perverted understanding of human sexuality the nature of our bodies, uh, our bodies, right? Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit that we have within us from God. But many people just see bodies as playthings, as objects devoid of any, um, of, of any of God's life, of, of the spark of God's spirit. They, they don't see our bodies that way. They just see our bodies as as objects to be used for pleasure and gratification or whatever I decided to be, even with assisted suicide, right? I mean, it's, it's what they say, my body, my choice, right? My body, my choice. And, and so that, that's the language of the culture. So we have to, the church has to clearly articulate a vision and the message of truth, goodness, and beauty when it comes to human sexuality. Um, as, as taught to us and articulated by the church, which of course comes from the teachings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I think a good way you, to, to counteract that, that claim of my body, my choice, I think a good place to start here would be to say that the church's view 
for our body is that our body is to be a living sacrifice to God. That's, that's what we are to use our body for, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, what does St. Paul say? Offer your bodies an acceptable sacrifice to God, your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you may know what is God's will, right? So, so our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are, are the way we articulate the life of God to the world. That's why we have bodies. Bodies articulate the person, right? And, and, and they're vehicles for us to be able to express to other people the power and the witness of God's love. So we use our bodies to evangelize. We use our bodies to procreate. We use our bodies for worship, right? And, and, and uh, ideally, remember, we're going to get our bodies back. That's how important our bodies are. You know, our bodies die and they rot in the ground at death, but at the end of the world, when Jesus Christ comes at the end of time to restore uh, everything to, to the Father, um, then we're going to get our bodies back, right? And we're going to have, remember, the book of Revelation talks about a new heaven and a new earth. So um, we're going to get glorified bodies. You know, and, and, and the assumption of Blessed Virgin Mary is a beautiful preamble to what we're all going to receive. So what Mary receives, we're all going to, well, hopefully, God willing, we're all going to receive at the end of, at the end of time. Um, so the, 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 the glorified body that Mary has is just a, 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 an epation of what hopefully all of us part, will participate in uh, if we stay faithful to the life of God. Uh, that's how important our bodies are. It's interesting you mention at the end of time, because what I'm going to do is go right back the other way. So back to the beginning of time. And I think this is actually quite telling. And in a lot of the conversations that we've had so far in this series, Deacon, we started in Genesis. There is absolute mm -hmm. genius in creation, and we need to look no further than the scriptures and then to the creation to, to see God's genius in the world around us. But in this instance, for this topic, let's go back to Genesis. Let's talk about covenant relationship. Let's talk about male and female. He created them, which is something that the world is really having trouble with. But from a Catholic perspective, this is essential truth, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, where I want to start um, before Genesis is actually in um, in, in first uh, Samuel uh, chapter chapter 16, which is the call of David. OK, um, you know, uh, and, and, and you'll and you'll it'll, it'll see it'll be clear why I want to start here and then go back to Genesis. Now, Samuel was a prophet called by God to anoint to go and anoint the new future king of Israel because Saul. Uh, was not doing what God needed him to do. And Saul was offering um, unworthy sacrifices to the Lord. So the Lord was displeased with Saul and sent the prophet Samuel, which Samuel means hear the word of God, uh, sent Samuel to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem, right? And what does Isaiah say? A shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse. Now, Jesse had eight sons, um, uh, um uh, Abinadab, Shema, and, and one of them was David. Now, when Samuel gets to the house, uh, uh, Jesse lines up seven of his sons, Eliab, Abinadab, Shema, and the others, but not David. Why? Because David's a kid. He's a teenager. He's out there with the sheep. He's a shepherd. And so he goes to the first son, Eliab. It doesn't describe him in the scriptures what he looked like, but he's probably tall, handsome, because obviously Samuel thought he this guy looks like a king. 
He goes to pour the oil of anointing, and the Lord says, no, not him. And Samuel's confused. He goes, I, I have the oil right here. There's Jesse. I'm in the right place. What's the problem? And what does the Lord say to him? You know, uh, do not look on his appearance or mm -hmm. the height of his stature because I have rejected him. Because the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. Ah, see, the heart, as I described this um, in our last episode, the heart or leb in Hebrew, the heart is the place where your desire for God lives inside of you. It's not just an organ that pumps blood through the body for the Hebrews. Uh, it was the place where your desire for God lives inside of you. It's your heart. Uh, so that's what God looks at when he looks at us. He's not looking, he doesn't care about our physical appearance, how black you are, how white you are, how Hispanic or Asian, how tall, how short, whether you're skinny, whether you're a little chubby. He doesn't care. God looks at what kind of person you are on the inside. You know, in our humanity, we often focus on, make judgments about people based on what they look like on the outside. But God looks on what's in the inside. Why? Go back to Genesis. We're made in the image and likeness of God. And the very words that are used in Hebrew to describe in Genesis 1, where it says image and likeness, speak volumes to this understanding of the, the complementarity between man and woman, male and female. So if we look, it says, uh, we, uh, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So God created man in his image and likeness. Word for image is salem. It's a masculine noun in Hebrew. Um, it, it literally means a shadow that's the outline or representation of the original. So if I'm standing in the light, Mark, I'm casting a shadow. The shadow is not me. It's the image. It's the outline. It's the representation of me, right? But if I move my arm, the shadow moves with me. If I move my leg, the shadow moves with me. What does that mean spiritually? Are we God? Of course not, right? But 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says we are partakers in the divine nature. I talked about last time of first, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19, where, where Paul says our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit that we have within us from God. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body, right? So, so our bodies speak a language of love and intimacy and communion. And so just, so what does that mean spiritually? Like, um, when the shadow moves, uh, when we move and the shadow moves with us, we're supposed to reflect God's life in, in being made in his image. Obviously, it's not his physical image because God, you know, in Genesis has no physicality, right? There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But there, there's no physical nature, just the spiritual nature, the, the, the three persons in the one nature, sharing the one divine nature. So there's no, until the word became flesh in Jesus, there's no physical physicalness to God at this point. And so, <clears throat> but he gave us bodies in order to articulate the person. So we're supposed to reflect God. So when we speak, we're reflecting the speech of God. When we think, we're reflecting the mind of God. And when we love, we're reflecting the love of God. 
right? That's what it means to be made in the image of God. What about the likeness of God, demuth, which is a feminine noun in Hebrew, which means similar. So what does that mean? So say um, someone wanted to create a, uh, a statue of, of me, Deacon Harold. And so they have a statue of me on one side and my son, Benjamin, on the other side of me. Now, you would say that the statue and my son both look like me, right? They're both in my likeness because they both look like me. But what does this, the, the, my son have that the statue doesn't have, right? In essence, a nature, a being, right? In Greek, usia, right? Uh, my stuff and God's stuff is in my son. So even though the statue looks more like me, my son is much more in my likeness. See, that's the proper understanding. Now notice, Salem and Demuth, image and likeness, are masculine and feminine nouns in Hebrew. What follows right after that? Male and female, he created them. Yeah. So the very words are masculine and feminine that express the reality of the complementarity with, uh, within God that he expressed through masculinity and femininity, which per perfectly complement each other, and which is an icon of the Trinity, right? Because a, 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 a father and a mother come together, and the love between them create a third, right? Which is children, and the which is uh, uh, again, uh, it's all ana human analogies fail. We're talking about God, but the image and likeness piece is the love between. God the Father and the Son is so deep, intense, and personal, it gives life or gives birth, if you will, to a third, the Holy Spirit. So the family on earth is the image and likeness of the family in heaven. That's where we get the under. So we're not being, we're not being closed-minded, we're not being bigoted, we're not being, you know, woke or whatever when we're talking about uh, you know, marriage as a man and a woman. That's the reality that God has established from the beginning. Everything else is a distortion or a, a, or a perversion, if you will, of God's original plan. Um, that doesn't mean that, that people uh, that are, are brothers and sisters who are same-sex attracted or transgender, that means they're going to hell. It doesn't mean that at all. And that's not the attitude that we should have. We should approach all of our brothers and sisters who have a distorted view of what marriage is with love and, and with mercy. And with understanding that they're not at the place or the understanding where we are. Our job is to meet people where they are and bring them into deeper relationship with Jesus. And we can't do that if we're fueled by animosity and hatred. In fact, that's what they show to us. You know, they talk about being um, tolerant. But I see a very much a lack of tolerance when you bring a position that's in opposition to what they believe. So they're only tolerant of people that agree with them. Well, my friend, that's not tolerance, that's agreement, sure. right? So um, so what we have to do is exercise that, that value of tolerance by saying, okay, you're not where I am right now. We're at a very, very different places here. Let's enter into a dialogue so that we can come to understand not ultimately who's right or who's wrong, but what is true and what is not true. Because that's what the heart is longing for, truth, goodness, beauty. And, and the, the heart and the will can only be satisfied by that 
which is true, which is objectively true, ultimately true, not the truth that I create for myself, not a truth that's a societal, a social construct, um, not a truth that I want to be, but to see things as they are and to and to embrace that because it's it's part of God's plan and God's design for for all of humanity who he loves. You mentioned a word in there, complementarity. Now, there is a difference between complementarity and compatibility, isn't there? They're, they're two very different things. So being complementary to something isn't necessarily the same as saying compatible, is it? Yeah. So, for example, Mark, um, here, here's my iPhone, right? If I take my USB cable and I plug that into the, or well, actually not USB, it would be a, uh, um, uh, what's that Apple uh, plug-in called here? Uh, oh, they, I, it's not, I use one. I don't know what it's called, but I use one. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's you know Apple's proprietary uh, technology, right? For for plugging something into the phone here. Yes. Those two things would be compatible, right? The, those two things are compatible. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're talking about complementarity. We're talking about a much deeper reality here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're talking about two things that are not just compatible with each other, but that complement each other. Because a, a man and a woman, they bring strengths that that are uh, and, and gifts that are particularly masculine, and women bring gifts that are particularly feminine. And it's those two things, even to the to the the the, the level of cellular and molecular biology, that clearly show the physical and from our perspective, spiritual image and likeness, spiritual complementarity between man and woman. It's the differences between the man and the woman that actually come together and bring unity and complementarity. So the only real um, unity that you can have is by focusing on the complementarity. It's precisely because of the complementarity that they're able to have oneness and unity. See? And that that's the deeper reality here uh, that so much of our culture doesn't appreciate and doesn't understand. When we're talking about the relationships between man and woman, that is also more specifically, actually, husband and wife. That is very clearly defined in the scriptures. And we, we look to St. Paul for that definition Let's, let's just have a look a little bit about what St. Paul says. Um, and this is something that, once again, the culture pushes back heavily against, and that being wives be submissive to your husbands, yeah. and then they stop there and they switch off, and they don't actually see what comes next. Can you speak a little bit about St. Paul's teaching in that particular scripture? Yeah, I'd love to. So um, we're talking about Ephesians chapter 5. Chapter 5, yeah. Right? Uh, yeah, it's Ephesians chapter five, starting at verse uh, 20. Uh, uh, sorry, sorry, for verse 21. So um, the, the the way that whole thing starts off is uh, was, was that particular section of scripture in, in scripture is called the pericope, right? But where it starts is verse 21. It says, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's how Paul starts the whole discussion off in Ephesians. Uh, be subject to one another. So wives and, and, and husbands see be subject, mutual subjection, one to the other. What kind of relationship is that? We, we talked about this before. Covenant relationship, right? The beautiful exchange of love, life, 
intimacy and communion between the man and the woman who perfectly complement each other, right? And, and, and those two, and those gifts that they share come together in a way that unites them. Think, think about it like this in the sexual act. Think about all the major systems of the body, Mark, the heart, the lungs, the liver, the kidneys, and the brain. All of those organs function independently within the individual person, correct? Absolutely, yeah. But notice, but notice in sexual complementarity, the 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 um, the man's uh, penis doesn't function without the complementarity of the woman, and and a woman's um, sexual reproductive system, vagina, doesn't function the way it is designed to function without the man. See, so all the other, for example, a man and woman, they don't share a heart, they don't share lungs, they don't share livers, they don't share a brain. Uh, because those are independent, but they have two systems. And notice those systems are life-giving systems. Those systems have to come together in a union and complementarity of physicality in a biological way. And it's when those two systems come together that they are functioning the way that they were designed to function. See, it, it, there's a beauty there in the way God has designed us, right? And they have to come together in a way that's intimate. There's a closeness and an intimacy there. You know, um, the, the, the bodies have to join. They have to, they have to become one. And that's why, G, that's why God says in Genesis chapter two, where, where Jesus quotes this in Matthew chapter 18, where he talks about marriage. He says, therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. Paul says that here. And in, 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 uh, at the end of the pericope in, in Ephesians 5, verse 31. So he starts off talking about uh, covenant relationship in verse 21, and he ends the whole thing in Genesis chapter 5, 31, 10 verses later, by quoting exactly from Genesis chapter 2. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, one interesting footnote here. The word for um, cleave to, because when you see that image in scripture, a man, he leaves his father and mother, was he cling to his wife? Does he hold on to her? Um, no, the word is daubach in Hebrew. It means to pursue as to overtake. So literally in Hebrew, it says, therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and pursues his wife and they become one flesh. He pursues her. Right. Because remember, we talked about the role of women before women as the highlight, the pinnacle of God's creative activity is a woman. She's the greatest of all God's creation. You know, the 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 cherry on the whipped cream of the ice cream of God's creation is a woman. So he pursues her. Why? He's he pursues she who per, in, a, in an earthly way, in an earthly way, in anticipation of of the, the final consummation in heaven with God in an earthly way, perfects him and completes him and perfectly complements him right and so when he when he reaches her and they and they enter into that covenant relationship right uh they 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 then engage in a sexual act in fact look at genesis chapter 1 the first thing that god does the first commandment is be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth in, in fact um the word be open be fruitful uh, is ephrata 
or uh, in, in Aramaic or para in Hebrew, which means to be open. So literally God's first command after he creates male and female, he created them uh, and, and he, and he uh, establishes the covenant between them, right? He unites them in a covenant relationship. This very first act is to be fruitful and multiply, right? In other words, literally be open to life. God's first command. So Paul knows all of this as he's writing this in Ephesians. So, so those are the bookends. Covenant relationship are the bookends in which Paul frames this whole conversation. So there's nothing for us to be nervous or afraid about as Catholics. Because now that we have a proper understanding of what Paul is, uh, is, is trying to say in all of this. Let's dive in. Be subject to one another. Then he says, wise, be subject to your husbands. The word there for subject to or submissive to in Greek is hupotasso. Hupotasso was a military word that was used by Roman soldiers to describe troops arranged in divisions that placed themselves under the mission and direction of a leader who was typically a general. So what is St. Paul saying? St. Paul is saying, wives, place yourselves under your husband's mission. What is his mission? Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ show his love for the church? He died for her. He gave his life for her. So what St. Paul is saying, wives, place yourself under your husband's mission because his job is to serve, protect, and defend, to die to himself every day of his life, to live for you and for your children. He's to die to himself to live for you. That's what St. Paul is saying. When he says, wise, be submissive. No, he's saying, place your, not be a, a slave, not, not to be some kind of uh, chattel. No, you ought to place yourself under your husband's mission because his job is to die every day so that you can live. That's beautiful. So, so Jesus gives us the model. The man is, the reason why the man is the head of the house is because he's the chief servant of his wife and children. Jesus gives us the model. I have not come to be served, but to serve. The greatest among you is the least, is the servant of all. Jesus himself gives us the model that headship and leadership and authority is rooted in service, right? But again, remember we saw in verse 21, there's a mutual subjection. So the wife places herself under her husband's mission, but the husband in turn is to listen to his wife, listen to her heart, listen to her heart, right? Because the woman is the heart of the home. She's the heart of the family. Well, providing a little bit better understanding of us as individuals, that one-on-one, have you found the person you want to spend the rest of your life with and how the church helps guide us through that? That's speaking with the deacon. If you want to hear the full conversation or any conversations you might have missed, just go to Podcast Central at EWTN.com slash radio. They're there for you. Stream them anytime. And then when we take a short break, that means we got another conversation to be had. And when we come back, we're going to jump right into Catholic Mon- where this week Heather Kim brings her passion about evangelism, discipleship, and creating an environment for people who have a personal encounter with God. So we want to help that be your walk this week as we come back next with Catholics Coast to Coast.
The destination for great Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the best of EWTN radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. If it's central to the faith, you can find it on EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com slash radio slash podcasts today. Welcome to the Catholic MomCast. Hello, I'm Allison Jingris, and joining me today is Bailey Westerlin. Hi, Allison. We are recording live at the Los Angeles Religious Congress in Anaheim, California. You can tell from the hustle and the bustle behind us. We have been really enjoying this time meeting with different creators and writers and just people who do incredible things for the Lord. And one of those joining us right now is Heather Kim. Heather, thank you so much for making this time for us. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So for those who are not aware of of all the wonderful work that you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm from uh, just outside of Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada. And I'm married. I have three children. Um, they're all teenagers, which is a super fun oh, season wow. to be in. Yeah, two of them are away at college now. We just took our second one there a couple months ago. So we're adjusting, you know, to just having one at home in kind of this new season of life. Um, my husband and I have a ministry, uh, a local ministry in the area called Life Restoration Ministries. And so we're just all about helping people unlock the heart and just bringing Jesus into every area of our life so that we can live the full life. So we do that through events and formation. But I also have a podcast called Abiding Together with two of my best friends, Sister Miriam James and Michelle Bensinger. And how did the podcast come to be? Well, that was probably about six years ago, maybe now, which is amazing. And um, it just started because a friend came to me who was already doing podcasting. And he said, you know, have you ever thought about it? And I said, no, absolutely not. Like, I've never thought about that. I was, you know, I tend to be more shy and it just wasn't something I had ever thought of. (laughs) And he just said, you know, I just feel like the church needs to hear your voice. And if you were to do a podcast, and he just like kind of kept pushing it. And I was really resistant at first, um, but then decided to take it to prayer and my two best friends. And we decided to give it a shot. And here we are, yeah, six years later and... And all of those women who have been blessed by that, thank you. Thank you for coming out of your comfort zone and saying yes. We always know that the, the minute we resist something, we always know that's where God's pushing us. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So discerning that, thank you so much for doing that. No, it's been a gift to us as well. We're going to talk today about your new book, Abide, A Pathway to Transformative Healing and Intimacy with Jesus, out now from Ave Maria Press. So tell us, what was the genesis of this book? Well, I think everything that I wrote about in the book has been happening in my own heart for a long time. You know, it really came out of my own journey, things that I feel like God has been teaching me along the way, but also, you know, how how my husband and I began to move through our own brokenness and realizing, even though I was Catholic, I've been Catholic my whole life, um, went to Franciscan University, studied theology, been in ministry for a long time. I think I just didn't know uh, how much freedom Jesus really desires for us. And there was a part of me that just believed, hey, you know, we all have hard things in life, and this is our cross to carry. And yes, that's true, in a way. Um, But I really, as I journeyed through different areas with God and with the support of other people, 
realize God really does want to come and set us free on this side of heaven. And although it might not be the fullness, of course, like when we get to heaven, there's still a lot of freedom to be had. And he wasn't lying when he said in John 10, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. And so that's the pursuit. And that's the hope for people who read the book is that it would just be uh, a pathway, you know, that, that would provide some, some things along the way that are true, that are good. Um, and also some practical tools that can help people journey through some of their own life hurts and hopefully experience freedom for themselves. Wow, that's really awesome. And when I first saw the title of the book, I was taken to John 15 where, you know, we're, we're seeing, you know, we cannot do anything apart from Christ. So how can we abide in Christ? Yeah. I think it's little by little. That's the whole point of it all. You know, sometimes we can forget what the whole goal is and we forget where we've come from and where we're going and what the big story is that we find ourselves right in the middle of, which is the story of salvation. You know, this is our story. And it's less about the little things that are happening in our life, although those are important to God. But it really is about intimacy with Him. It's about that abiding with Him always and so how do we do that and I think it's little by little you know taking time to get to know who he is really as a person the person of Jesus getting to know him getting to know the Father getting to know the Holy Spirit it's about relationship um, because it's really hard to worship and it's really hard to love someone you don't know so I think it just begins there with like growing in relationships through prayer through the sacramental life of the church um, through scripture studying scripture and just getting to know who God is yeah and you talked about we're, we're all broken in some way or another, but God wants us to have this abundant life. I really love John 10.10. 10. Yeah. And, and ex- experiencing an abundant life often has to first come with some healing. Yeah. And really that, that question, can God really heal us? How do you respond to that? Yeah, I think there's all kinds of areas of resistance that we have to that. And I think for most people, um, when we get down under that question, they're afraid. You know, afraid that maybe God isn't who he says he is or that he's not going to show up for them, right? And I know that I've had that on my my own fear like that in my own life of just going like, God, I know that you exist and I, I believe that you're real and, and I might even believe that you've shown up for other people, but are you going to show up for me, you know, and, and take away some of the hurt that I've experienced in my life. And, and I think that's where relationship is key because God isn't someone to be used or like, um, you know, Santa that we just put in our list of things that we want. It's like, I'd like this to be healed and this to be healed and go, you know, we just wait for him to act. But it's really about relationship and coming to understand that the goal isn't actually healing. The goal is intimacy with God and intimacy with Jesus. And Jesus reveals the father to us. And, um, and Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to be the, the love of God poured into our hearts. And it's that experience of relationship with God that I do believe brings about healing in our life. I know in my own work with women's ministry, there's such a resistance to feeling worthy. Like, I've done such and such, and there's no way that God could forgive me or that God could, that he would want to be in relationship with me, that he'd want to know me. And that fear that you're just, that you're not, that you're not truly a daughter of God and that you're his beloved and he loves you and there's absolutely nothing you can do that could to be that barrier and so do you ever encounter that and do you have a response oh, for yeah. women who feel i'm just too far gone yeah 
Yeah, it's unfortunately, it's very common yeah. that we feel that, you know, and uh, we can very easily look at our own lives and our own sin and our own brokenness and just think like, yeah, God, God won't want to come near this. And I think for me, that's where scripture has actually been really healing and revealed who Jesus is. Because when we look into scripture, we go into the gospels and we see where Jesus went. He wasn't hanging out with the people who had it all together. He was hanging out with the broken and the lost and those on the periphery and those who didn't feel like they belonged. That's where he went and that's where he hung out. And even his birth, where he came into a, a world of darkness and a world at war and, and people were looking to kill all of the children because because of him, you know, they were looking for him, and and that's where he decided to come into a manger, into a a barn, a stable that probably smelled and wasn't fancy, you know. And I think, wow, that sounds a lot like my heart. <laughs> <You know? laughs> not so fancy, and uh, it sometimes and, smells. Not yeah. just your, not your heart, mine. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. So that actually gives me a lot of hope. Yeah. Just realizing that actually this is why Jesus came and this is who he's drawn to. Right. I've definitely been there before and I remember hearing advice that, you know, I was always trying to figure out like who am I in Christ I hear that like remember who you are in Christ but because Jesus has taken our place we're now pure holy righteous and blameless and we can try and live like that or we can end up you know staying in that darkness and Jesus doesn't want that for us and so the world can often feel like a very dark um, place so how do you have hope in the midst of that yeah I love the scripture. Also in John, we're just quoting a lot of John yeah. today, but it's quotable. Yeah, it's one of yeah. my favorites. <laughs> Me um, too. Me too. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart or fear not is another translation. He says, I have overcome the world. And I, I, I mean, that is everything. Jesus really is the answer for it all. Right. Like I know we try to figure it out and many of us feel like we are just white knuckling our, our way through life. Um, but coming to Jesus with all of those things is the game changer. And many people might think, yeah, but I've done that and it didn't work, you know? <laughs> and, and again, I go back to, it's not, it's not about the drive-through or the Santa Claus experience. That's right. not who he is. Right. You know, it's about relationship. And even though our circumstances don't change, my perspective can change. My heart can change. You know, I can have a new mind about certain things. And, and that for me, yeah, has been everything. The more that I trust him, the more that I come to him, the more he's able to provide for the things that I actually need, not the things I think I need. Right. Yeah. One of my favorite scripture verses is the hemorrhaging woman who has such courage yeah. to reach out to Jesus. And one of my favorite lines is his response. Who touched me? Yeah. And of course, it means physically. But more importantly, I believe he wanted to know who had this courage to come to me and touch my heart because you wanted, you knew that you could come to me for healing. Yeah. Do you have a, uh, a favorite Bible verse or a story that really brought you to this idea that, that he can bring us healing and, and, and the healing and that what he wants? You know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, there's so many. Yeah. <laughs> One of the what ones I talk question? about in the book actually is the woman at Nain. And she was this woman who had already lost her husband so she was a widow and her son has just died and it's a funeral procession basically and Jesus comes on the scene with this huge crowd and there she is it says she's weeping of course and Jesus just walks right up to her and he looks at her tenderly and just says don't cry and there's something about just the tenderness of Jesus coming in where he's not actually consumed with the crowds he's not distracted by anything he sees her pain and that's immediately where he goes and, 
and I imagine he probably had a little glint in his eye because he, he knows what he's about to do. And then he walks over to her son and puts his hand on him, which again is just a sign that like you're not supposed to do that back then. You don't touch dead people. That was actually a really bad thing that he did um, because they're unclean and you know all of that stuff. And it just shows you again, Jesus is not afraid to come near to the things that are most broken. And he has the power to change it. And so he just put on his hand and said, young man, get up. And he did. And I mean, we read stories like that all the time. We're like, oh, wow, that's cool. You know, it's like, no, it's not cool. Could you imagine if that happened right now? Because it's real. And Jesus is real right now. And he didn't just live 2,000 years ago. And he has that same power that he wants to extend into our lives. So your book, Abide, out from Ave Maria Press, what is the the gist of it? And and what do you really hope that women will get from it who turned... And, and spend some time with it. And yeah. I love that not just read it, spend some time with it. Yeah, it kind of is a workbook of yeah. sorts. Like there's little practical tools at the end of each chapter. So I hope that it's something that people can actually take into their prayer to look at some of the themes of their life and invite Jesus into the various hurts and parts of their story where they're desperately needing him to be. But it's also a book of truth where I just felt like, you know, we are in a world at war and there is an enemy who is lying to us all the time. And so we need to be reoriented back to the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of our story that we were made in the image and likeness of God and he meant for us to be in deep intimate union with him that's the goal you know so i i start by just sort of like reorienting us back in the big story because i think for most of us like it's pretty easy to get into a fog in our day and kind of forget lose perspective So beginning with that and then kind of getting into why we experience hurt, who the enemy is, what the hurts might be in our life, and then the truth about who God is and then how to use scripture specifically um, to bring the truth of God into the lies in our life. So, And then of course there's just messages of hope and healing and miracles that are also in the book. So yeah, my my prayer is that it really does bless people. And I love that idea of um, the modern miracles, like miracles still happen. Um, My daughter is adopted from China and she's profoundly deaf and we got her home and we realized a few years after she was here that she had a severe scoliosis. And the the most frightening thing for a mom is to put your child under anesthesia. When you don't know their medical history, it's even more frightening. And we were told by the doctors that she needed surgery because it was such a profound uh, curve. So her dad, who's a deacon, said there has to be a saint for her. Mm. So he went and Googled, I love this, we Googled saints, and we found St. Gemma Golgani. She was orphaned, she was deaf, and she had meningitis that, that curved wow. her spine so that she wore a brace just like, not quite like my daughter's. This was a little bit more intense that <clears throat> poor St. Gemma had to wear. But we did a novena to her and we prayed, and we prayed not to have, for her not to have to have surgery. We didn't think to pray boldly enough for like a complete healing. Just please, Lord, don't let this poor little girl who's been through so much have to go through surgery. We went back to the doctor and he came in. Now, this is a doctor that never really smiled. Like I I kind of teased that he was like weaned on a pickle, kind of. And he came in with a giant smile on his face. Like something is crazy. He showed us the x-rays and he said, I don't know what's happened. But this brace that she was in wasn't supposed to do anything but hold it from getting worse. Mm-hmm. And she had had enough of a recovery from it, a, a healing, that she no longer needs surgery, not ever, for her wow. scoliosis. Wow. Wow. And I said to this, this doctor, like, I know what happened. Yeah. God happened. Yeah. And I think that we forget that he is the God of now. Yes. And that he still wants to 
perform miracles in yes. our life, that he still uh, wants to be a part of our everyday worries and concerns, and he yes. wants to move the world around us. Yes. He's the same Preach. God. Yes. Yes, he is. Yeah. Is. This, I love that. The, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the death, dead lives in you. Yep. That's the truth. Yeah. So what message would you like to uh, just really share with our moms that are listening today? Yeah. You know, when I think about just the state of the world, it is uh, feeling like a pretty dark place right now. And... I think it's very easy to focus on all of the tragedies and all of the sorrows and all the things that are wrong, you know, even in the church, in the world, politics, all the, all the ways that people are suffering and we're bombarded with that 24-7, you know, on our phones and on the news and all of that stuff. But I, I guess my word uh, to moms out there today would be that the dark is not dark for God. That's what scripture tells us. The darkness is not dark for him. That Jesus truly is the light of the world. And he has us in the palm of his hand. And so, yeah, I'm just praying for the gift of faith and for hope to be reborn in the hearts of the moms who are listening. And, um, and just also that God knows where you are. He sees you. He has not forgotten you. You are not outside of his reach, and his arms are long enough to find you wherever you are, wherever you might find yourself, especially those of you who feel like you're in a, a season of isolation. Uh, just know that the Lord sees you and that he's with you. Wow, that was beautiful. I'm getting a little teary now. <laughs> but um, I'm actually getting married in June, and I, I do student ministry, so I'd love to hear um, how do you balance your vocation as wife and also mother um, with your ministry? Yeah, well, things have looked different in different seasons, that's for sure. Um, I've been in ministry for a long time, uh, since I was probably 18 years old and just graduated from high school. And so, yeah, things have looked different at different times, but as I became a wife and then a mother, you know, things would start to dramatically, like, slow down, you know, so that you could provide for the kids. It's like everything should be in right order. That's what I would say is, like, constantly pray and ask God, what is the right order for this season of life? Yeah. You know, how much time do I need to give? Because our primary vocation matters. It should be primary, you know, Absolutely. under our relationship with God. Like, Amen. it should be our primary Thing that we're concerned about and so pouring into our spouses and pouring into our children of course but then from that can flow dreams that God has for us you know unique positions that God wants to put us in whether it's you know to help out at a thing at the parish that might be like a program that might be running or to be in a in a ministry or you know whatever it is like cooking for someone who might be in need all of those things but I would just say like pray pray and ask God our vocation ultimately is to love so it's like, how can I love you best, Jesus, right now? Is it, you know, in my family with my husband and then my children? Like, of course, that's going to be a big yes every time right. from him. And it's like, but what more can I do? And is this a season of quiet, of just spending time with you, of just loving the people that you've entrusted to me right here? Or is it a season where you're asking me to go out and to, to move outside of this, to have it flow from this vocation and to bless other people? There's a question that's been kind of going on in my head for the last few months, and I've been asking different people about the legacy of faith they hope to leave someday. Yeah. What kind of legacy of faith, Heather, would you like to leave for your children and for this world? Oh my gosh, I want them to be so in love with Jesus and that they cannot contain it and want to share it with the world. Like, I really want them to live heroic 
lives of love, where they are loving heroically wherever God calls them to be. You know, I think that's what the world needs most. God is love. That's what they need. They need God. They need his presence. And I hope, I pray, that my kids uh, can bring him to the world. I love that. That's a beautiful legacy to leave. So where can we find out more about the Abide podcast and about your new book, Abide with Ave Maria Press? Yeah, so people can find the podcast on any podcast app that you have, um, but also on our website, abidingtogetherpodcast.com. You can check it out there. Everything's free. There's also discussion and journaling questions if people want to meet in groups. A lot of people are doing that, which has been really great. We do different series, different book studies, so people can check out all of that. There's like 12 seasons worth of uh, content there that they can grasp onto. And then, yeah, the book Abide, you can find it on Amazon, Ave Maria Press, and probably your local Catholic bookstore. We are made in relation, and we're made for relationships. So to be able to journey together with other women and have really good resources, just can't be that. So thank you so much for all your work, all that you do for the church. We're so grateful to be able to benefit from it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. My pleasure. Yeah, good to be with you both today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bailey, for your joining us again. Of course. And thank you to Heather Kim for your time. Thank you for listening to the Catholic MomCast. We'll be back with you next week with an all-new show. God bless. Getting a better understanding of restoration in our faith. Thanks so much to the Catholic MomCast. If you want to hear the full conversation, just go to our Podcast Central section at EWTN.com slash radio. And as you do that, we're going to jump into this morning's Mass readings as we get this week's Word on the Word. You may remember we recently talked about Jesus being the cornerstone, but today we're going to focus on the Apostle Peter becoming the rock that the Catholic Church was built on. Let's rewind a little bit first. In this Sunday's Gospel from Matthew, Jesus asked his disciples who the crowd say that he is, and they named some well-known prophets. Then Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He also declared, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Basically, in the following sentences, Peter is given the keys to heaven and authority over the church on earth. And that's how Peter became the first pope. As Catholics, we believe that the current pope is the successor of Peter. This week, we challenge you to reflect on Jesus' question, Who do you say that I am? How would you respond? Maybe consider if your life reflects your answer. And bonus challenge, pray for the Pope. I like it. And we'll see you here next week. Bye. So thankful to get a little insight into the readings from Mass this morning. And so as you take that with you for the week, remember you can always check out any and all of what you've heard this week and any week at our Podcast Central page. Just go to EWTN.com slash radio for the latest. And also let us know your comments and thoughts while you're there as well. And subscribe, follow, and share with your friends on social media. It's a great way for us to grow as we head into the new week. I'm Ace McKay. I'll see you back next week. And remember to let God define find who you are and we'll do it again on Catholics Coast to Coast.